Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the first book of Samuel, chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not follow his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us, then, a king to govern us, like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now, listen, now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of 50 and some to plow the ground and to reap the harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out, because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us. 
so that we also may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them to the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel then said to the people of Israel, each of you return home. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as Anna's making her way back to her seat, I have to tell you, as many of you know, when you agree to read scripture in worship, you hope for two things. You hope, first of all, that there will be no names and no places, and second of all, you'll get a short passage. Thank you so much, Anne. (laughs) And as we reflect on God's word, let's now take a moment to go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of scripture. We thank you for these words from Samuel, these words about your people. We ask as these words hang in the air that you would help them to find their way into our ears, into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives. That we might come to know who you are and who you are calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we, we pray that prayer. I pray that prayer because that's usually what I expect when I turn to a scripture passage. I expect to find a little bit more about who God is and who God is calling me to be. Uh, this is just one of the assumptions I bring when I, when I turn to scripture. And then every once in a while you get a passage like this. And it's a long passage. It's a complicated passage. But it really tells a pretty simple story. And ancient people want a king. And as wonderful as that may be and as interesting as that may be, it doesn't on the surface seem to say anything about who God is or anything about who God is calling me to be. And that moment, that moment when a scripture passage seems really simple, that's the moment that all the alarm bells should go off. Because when it seems really simple, when you don't see yourself in the passage, it's usually because you are so perfectly reflected you don't even notice. See, when we look at this passage, if we look a little more closely, we find that this passage has a lot to tell us about who we are, and more importantly, a lot to tell us about who God is. And it begins as we look at what exactly is happening. You see, as we said, this is a moment when uh, there's a major transition in Israel. They're, They're shifting from a system of judges to a system of kings. It's a political transition. We know what that's like. And we know what it's like to live in a time when the political situation of a nation is shifting. Regardless of where you happen to stand on the spectrum or what you think about the changes that have occurred in our country over the last 20 years or so, we can pretty much all agree that politics in our country don't look the way they did 20 or 30 years ago. We are in the midst of tremendous political change. It turns out we we have a lot in common with this people who are undergoing major political shifts. But if you look more closely at this passage, if you look at the, the passages around this morning's story, you see that there are even deeper changes influencing this morning's reading. There there are deeper changes in the nations all around Israel. You see, if you read a few more chapters, if you look at world history, you find what's happening right now. As Samuel has this conversation with the people, what's happening is the nations around them are beginning to work with iron. 
This is the first time in history they've worked with this new material in this way. And as they work with iron, they discover this technological change enables them to make new weapons and enables them to make new tools. It changes the way that they fight. It changes the way that they work. It changes the way they live. It changes the way nations interact with other nations. This new technology is changing pretty much everything. We know exactly what that's like. And we know exactly what it's like to have a new technology change the way that we work. We know what it's like when a, a new technology changes the way that we live. We know what it's like when a new technology changes the way we fight and argue. We know what it's like when a, a new technology changes the way nations interact with one another. It turns out this major technological shift, this is exactly where we live. We know exactly what it's like when the technology of the world around us changes. We know exactly what it's like when the political situation of the world around us changes. We know exactly what it's like to live in between two eras. And that's where we find the people of God in this story. In our world. In our situation. In our circumstance. In our lives. And so as we find our circumstances in this passage, we're tempted to perhaps lean in a little closer and to look a little more to see what the word of God is to a people who are living in between the eras. And what we find is a little chilling. What we find is the word of God when God speaks to Samuel. And God says to Samuel, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me. The people have not rejected you. They have rejected me. And they have chased after other gods. Now, as we read these words, these are perhaps some of the most heartbreaking words in all of Scripture to this point. I and mean, we've been following the people of Israel through, through Scripture. We've seen as God led them out of Egypt. God led them out of slavery. God was faithful. We've seen as God led them into the promised land and God was faithful. We've seen as God led them into this new life and God was faithful. We've seen as God went out before them and thundered before them and conquered their enemies and God was faithful. We've seen as the people, in order to remind themselves of God's faithfulness, set up a stone that said, thus far has God helped us to remember that God has been faithful. We've watched as God has been faithful over and over and over, and then the people choose to reject God. And it's this heartbreaking moment when they've forgotten what they did in the previous chapter. But God says something very strange as he's speaking to Samuel. He, he mentions that this is what they've done, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. This is a strange thing for God to bring up in this morning's passage. As we read this morning's passage, we don't see that anywhere. There, there are no, no statues, there are no idols, there are no burnt offerings, there are no sacrifices. It doesn't really look like there's a whole lot of idolatry or serving other gods anywhere in this morning's reading. That's because the idolatry in this morning's passage is much deeper than that. It's an idolatry that tempts all of us over and over. If you look more closely, you can see the idolatry running through virtually every verse of this chapter. We begin right at the beginning. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. That's not how judges work. 
You don't get to pick the next judge. God picks the next judge. Several times, judges have attempted to set up a hereditary succession system whereby their children will reign after them, but that's not how it works. That's exactly what Eli did before Samuel, and it didn't work. Samuel is trying to make the same mistake. Samuel has decided he's going to do what's sensible rather than what's faithful. He's going to do what's easy instead of what's right. He's going to make the decisions himself instead of waiting for God. Samuel decides he will take on the role of God. He will make himself into a God. He becomes an idol for himself. He tries to make himself into God, and he fails. It doesn't work. His children can't do it, and everything starts to fall apart. Samuel tries to make himself into God, and he fails. But we continue, and we see next about his sons. His sons are now put in power. His sons are to reign as judges, and his sons fall prey to another kind of idolatry because they take bribes. They chase after gain. And they have decided to put their trust, to put their faith, not in following God, not in the Lord that has gone out before them time and again. They decide to put their faith, to put their trust in their wealth, in their stuff. And when they chase after the money, when they chase after the gain, when they chase after the stuff, it comes at a tremendous loss. Justice falls apart. They try to make their money into God and they fail. And it's at this point that the people come to Samuel and they say, we're, we're tired of waiting. We're tired of watching you try to make yourself into a God. We're tired of waiting for your sons trying to make their money into a God. We've decided we know what we want to do. We know how we want to live. We know where we're going to take our direction from. We are going to live like our neighbors. We're going to do what our neighbors do. We're going to live the way our neighbors live. We're going to look around and see what the culture around us does and we're going to follow that. And the people suddenly find that they are trying to turn their culture, they are trying to turn their friends, they are trying to turn their neighbors into gods. And they fail. It doesn't work. See, when they do what their neighbors did, they get what their neighbors got. And they don't get the the shiny, highlight, real version of their neighbors' lives. They don't get the curated social media pictures of their neighbors' lives. They get the reality of their neighbors' lives. They get exactly what Samuel describes. They get hardship. They get oppression. They get violence. They get poverty. When they live like everyone else, they end up living like everyone else. When they try to make their neighbors into gods, they fail. And the passage continues. And Samuel warns them that this is going to happen. At the very end, they say, no, but we are determined to have a king over us. They decide they're going to put their faith in a leader. They're going to put their faith in a leader who will go out before us and fight our battles. Because as this world shifts, as it changes, the challenges that are ahead of us, the decisions that are ahead of us, the choices we have to make, they're too hard. They're too difficult. We just want someone to fight our battles for us. And so they chase after a leader, and they lift up their leader, and they determine that they will place their faith in a leader. And they try to make their king into a god, and they fail. They end up with a a, a guy named Saul serving as king. And remember, what they want Saul to do is to go out before them and fight their battles for them. And Saul flat out refuses. He starts out okay, but eventually he ends up against an enemy army and their champion, a guy named Goliath, comes forward. And he challenges Israel to send out the one who will go out before them. And Saul turns around and goes in behind them and hides in his tent. 
He wants nothing to do with their battles. They try to make Saul into a god, and they fail. Over and over through this passage, we see the people trying to create their own gods. They try to make themselves into God. They try to make their money into God. They try to make their culture into God. They try to make their leaders into God. And we do every one of these things. Over and over, we face every one of these temptations. We face the temptation to do what's sensible instead of what's faithful. We face the temptation to do what's easy instead of what's right. We face the temptation to make ourselves into God. We face the temptation to put our trust, to put our hope, to put our faith in our bank accounts, and our retirement accounts, and our homes, and our stuff. We face the temptation to make our stuff, to make our wealth into God. And we fail. We face the temptation to look at the world around us, to look at the culture around us for our cues on how to live, how to be faithful, how to serve. We look at the church across the way who's gotten a lot of new members. We look at the, at the city across the way who's been revitalized. We look at the nation that's got happier people. We look at the people around us, and we try to make them into God. And we will always fail. And with leaders, we do the same thing. We just want someone to fight the battles for us. We want someone to take away the challenge, to take away the choice, to take away the hardship. We want someone to fight our battles for us, and we try to make our leaders into gods, our political leaders, our spiritual leaders, our sports leaders, our personal mentors, our heroes, our supervisors, our big brothers, our parents. We put our leaders in this position, and we try to make our leaders into gods, and we will fail. Over and over again, we find ourselves in the same situation in a world that is changing. And we face the temptation to create our own little gods. And every single time, we will fail. But the good news of the gospel is that God won't. As we read this passage, we see that there are consequences to sin. Sin is real. Righteousness matters. Speaking the truth matters. Faithfulness matters. Sin is a real thing and it has real consequences, but the consequences of sin can never change the identity of God because God is faithful to the people every time they reject him. Every time they try to make themselves into gods, God is still faithful. Every time they trust in their money over God, God is still faithful. Every time they turn to their neighbors instead of God, God is still faithful. Every time they turn to their leaders instead of God, God is still faithful. Because no matter what we do, God loves us no matter what. Sin has no bearing on the identity of God. It's almost as if while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's almost as if nothing in all of creation, not height, nor depth, nor the Idols we erect can separate us from the love of God because God loves us no matter what. This is who God is, regardless of who we choose to be. God is faithful. God is love. And God will go out before us again and again and again. And as we read the next chapters, as we read the next parts of this story, we see that God will redeem even this monarchy they set up in rejection of God. God will bring about a a king named David who will be known as one of the greatest kings of all time. And through his line, we will be introduced to a new character in the biblical story, a man named Jesus. Because God is God. Regardless of how we try to replace him, regardless of how we try to reject him, regardless of how we turn from God, God is still faithful. God loves us no matter what. The good news of the gospel is when we fail to set up our gods, God will not fail us. 
When we are not faithful to God, God is faithful to us. God is who God is, regardless of who we are. God loves us no matter what. As we read this morning's passage, as we head into this season of Lent, as we begin thinking about the fact that the sin is real, that truth, righteousness, faithfulness, justice, that these things matter, that there are consequences to our actions, as we remember what it means to sin, we can, we can hold this passage in front of us and recognize all the places in our lives where we do the exact same thing, when we try to lift up other gods. And above all, we can remember that God loves us no matter what. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And nothing we do, nothing we say can change the fact that God is love. This is the good news of the gospel. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.